Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7, and we'll be looking at verse 6 through 11. Deuteronomy is toward the beginning of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some Bibles uh, available on the table in the back. Uh, and um, Blake's going to be coming around just with a handful. And, and uh, we'd love you to, to have a Bible. So if you just f- feel free to raise your hand. He'll bring you a copy of, of the Word of the Lord if you, uh, if you need one. And if you don't like, own a Bible, then we, we actually would love for you to take this Bible and take it home with you. So Blake's coming around if you need one. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verse 6 through 11. Um, and uh, as you're turning there, I do just want to draw your attention to the, to the pieces of art. Uh, we've been doing uh, kind of an art display through this whole series of Understanding Everything and uh, there's several uh, available in the lounge for you to enjoy and to look at. But today, um, uh, to my left here is uh, Kim Doka. This is the gift of eternal love. And to my right, actually by Nicole Nolan, who we heard from earlier, um, uh, just a piece called Love. Uh, Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy, uh, really means the second law. Uh, more precisely, maybe the second giving of the law. This is really a series of sermons that Moses is preaching at the end of his life. And he, he's basically saying, guys, I, you know, I'm about to die here, but, but you got to remember these things. And I hope that these words that God has given to us are precious to you. But we believe that, that Moses, as he was preaching these sermons, was, was preaching them under the inspiration of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us today with the same kind of authority and the same kind of power is if Jesus himself, God himself, were, were speaking to us and teaching us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 11. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and statutes and the rules that I command you today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, on my 30th birthday, January 26th, 2012, I went with my wife to Newton General Hospital, as it was called at the time. Now it is part of the Piedmont Empire. But I went to uh, Newton General Hospital, and um, that day, my 30th birthday, she gave birth to the most beautiful and wonderful, precious girl that I had ever seen. And Imriana, our daughter, was born that day. 
And nothing could have prepared me for that moment. I mean, I, I changed in that one moment. Uh, have you ever seen uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? And you know the scene like at the end when the Grinch, whose heart was two sizes too small, you know, when he hears the people singing, it says his heart grew three sizes that day. It breaks the, you know, Dr. Seuss heart monitor thing that they have there. And I think the same thing happened to my heart. Literally, I feel like my heart grew. I feel like my capacity to love grew in this one moment of seeing my firstborn child. It was, it was an unbelievable moment in my life that obviously I'll never forget. And, and I'm not unique in that. Anyone that's a parent here gets this. And you've experienced this thing. You, you don't expect it coming. It hits you so hard. At least it did for me. Nothing could have prepared me, me for it. It hit me so hard to just love this child so deeply and so much. I understood something that day. I understood in a whole new way what covenantal love was and really my whole perspective uh, in understanding love changed. Well, if you've been with us uh, for the past several weeks, we've been in this series that we mentioned earlier called Understanding Everything. And what we're trying to do in this series is look at the Bible as a meta-narrative, as a grand narrative, as a complete story. The Bible is not a series of isolated stories that talk about different things that somebody compiled. But no, we, we believe that the Bible was led along by, was inspired by the Spirit of God, and that in the Scriptures, in these different books that were written by different authors over a long period of time, but in the Scriptures, God is actually communicating something to us. He's, he's if you will, he's telling us a grand narrative. He's telling us a grand story. And that through this story, we believe, you can understand everything. Now, we're not saying that we believe that all human facts are in the Bible. We're saying that when you understand what the Bible is communicating, and the, the story particularly that the Bible is telling, that through that story, through that narrative lens, through that biblical lens, you can understand all facts rightly, correctly, as God designed them to be understood. Through this framework, you can understand everything. So if you're here two weeks ago, we talked about just the essence of being, that there is, uh, that, that all things that God has made, he has made, and that his purpose in creation was to display himself, that all of creation is an overflow of himself. It's an overflow of his character, of his nature. And God wants to not only display himself in the things that he's made, but he also wants us to enjoy it. He, he's inviting us into the dance, as I said a few weeks ago. He wants us to participate in the glory of his creation, in the movement of his creation, and to enjoy perfect union and perfect love with him. But of course, if you were here last week, we looked at, okay, in light of that, how, how do we experience all this pain and loss and evil? And we looked at the origin of that and, and this, this moment in time where for the first time ever, humanity stepped outside of God's order. Uh, he stepped outside of the dance, outside of the rhythm that God had designed. We, we disobeyed the law of God. Human beings chose not to trust God, as we said, and they, and they decided to put themselves in the place of God. And from that day to this, we have an inclination to do that. We have an inclination to not trust God, to put ourselves in the place of God. And from that day to this, there has been a separation between God and man. In fact, last week, we didn't look at this part of the narrative, but in the text that we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 3, the end of that passage 
there's this, there's this scene of an angel with a sword guarding the garden, guarding the way to the tree of life, guarding the way to intimate presence with God. It's a powerful scene that, that so depicts, that so is descriptive of the separation that we now experience. And, and you all feel that separation. Uh, whether you've been introspective enough to think about it or not, you, you all feel, you, we all live a life that is marked by longing, that is marked in some way by disappointment, that's marked by pain. It's not that we're not experiencing the joys of God's creation, but there, there is this kind of overarching heartache that all of us understand, that this separation from God that we all feel, and the reason that you feel it, the reason I feel it, is because we, we weren't designed to be separated from God. We were designed to be in union with God, in communion with God, one with him forever and forever. You know, and even the best lives I have to learn how to deal with heartache and pain. In fact, I, I was interested to see in George H.W. Bush's funeral this week, George W. Bush's, so many of his comments uh, were kind of surrounded around this, this event that happened in his life, the loss of a three-year-old child. Uh, George H.W. Bush had to bury one of his daughters and it was striking to me, this man who had achieved so much, who'd had so much dignity, who'd had so much honor, had so much discipline in his life, even he had this great pain that he had to deal with, this deep, deep pain that cannot be avoided in this life. And the truth of the matter is, is east of Eden, that's just the way life is. We, we are having to endure life and learn how to live life and learn how to live in the realities of life, the reality of a life that is separated from God, who is the good giver of life. And from that time to this, there's been a desire in the heart of man, whether you're introspective enough to know this or not, I, I, I believe that it's there. There's a desire in your heart and in my heart to get back in, to once again know the presence of God, to once again know God's love fully, to be fully vulnerable before God and also fully accepted by him, to feel no separation. We were designed for this word that I, I like to think about, covenantal love, the covenantal love of God, the deep and secure love of God. And this is why when you experience love in this life, it's so life-giving, it's so joy-giving. When you really experience friendship, how good is friendship? How good is it to have a friend that you know is gonna be there with you? It really demonstrates himself or herself in a way that is loving, in a way that is sacrificial, as Matt was talking about earlier. There is something about that that just that makes you come alive. We talk about romantic love. Uh, you know, romantic love, it makes you feel so alive when you fall in love with someone. And, and the greatest expression of that, being in marriage with someone where there's a covenantal commitment, a promise to one another. And, and when you see a spouse or experience a spouse that is so close there's something beautiful in that. And even as I said earlier, with children, the covenantal love that you feel towards your children, the, the kind of love that children feel toward their parents, it, it makes your heart grow. We, we see love all around us, and when we do, there is something of it that, that makes sense to us, that is right to us, that seems to, that seems to set our hearts at ease. That's why Lennon and McCartney said, all you need is love. It's easy. All you need is love is love. And all of these kinds of things, these expressions that I've talked about, friendship, marriage, children, they're all very powerful and all very good, but they're only reflections. They're only reflections of the kind of even deeper love that your heart longs for and that my heart longs for. 
And that is the love of the Almighty. The love of God himself who's at the very center of the universe. And to help us understand that, this passage is incredibly enlightening. And and so as we think about the Deuteronomy 7's passage today, I wanna look at just three things with you. First of all, understanding love, enjoying love, and finding love. Understanding love, enjoying love, and finding love. So let's start with understanding love. I've got some bad news for you today. I know it's Christmas time. I know we just saw children up here. But I hate to break it to you, but it, it, I want you to understand this. Then the bad news is this. Most of the love that you've experienced in this life, most of the love that I've experienced, most of the love that we've given in this life is what I like to call marketplace love. It's not the purest form of love. It's an exchange So often love in so many of our relationships is a word that we use to demonstrate a meaningful exchange of goods or emotions that takes place between us and another person. It's conditional love. I love you because of what you can do. I love you because of what you've done for me. I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you make me feel good about myself. I love you because you're rich. I love you because you make me laugh. I love you for what you provide for me. It's an exchange. This is why people are so hungry. One of the reasons... I believe people are so hungry for power and for wealth, right? Because we we deeply want to be loved. People love the rich guy. People love the powerful person. Everyone loves that person. I have a friend that used to live in uh, D.C., and he was talking about how refreshing, you know, Atlanta is. He said, you know, in D.C., everyone's got a number. He said, the president's number one, and everybody else has a number, and your your whole life in D.C., you're trying to build your number higher. You know, you're trying, to, you're trying to get closer to number one. You're trying to get more and more and more and more power. You know, so tonight, there'll be a lot of Christmas parties in D.C., and number 10,432 is going to try to make it to 9,850. You know, you're, you're trying to meet the right person, shake the right hand, and get your way down the line closer to number one. It's, an, it's a marketplace, though, see? It's an exchange. It's marketplace love, and it's exchange of power. It's not, it's not genuine, now, of course, we can think about that here in Atlanta and be so proud of ourselves and say, well, we're not like that. We're genuine in our relationships. But there's something about that that's familiar to you, isn't there? There's something about that that, that seems to be something that you've experienced. This exchange, I love this person because of that. I love this person because of this. I love my wife because she's beautiful. Well, what happens when she becomes less beautiful? I love my husband because he provides so well for us. Well, what happens when he loses his job? In fact, when I do marriage counseling and I meet a couple that is thinking they need a divorce or pursuing a divorce or particularly talk to one individual, I always hear their refrain. He just didn't hold up his end of the... Yeah, y'all know the words. He just didn't do his deal. He just didn't hold up his side of the deal. People even use marketplace language in talking about their relationships. Most of the love that we experience is marketplace love, but there is this category in the Bible. It's different. It's it's, it's a category that's not based on an exchange. It's it's a category that, that, that I want to refer to today as covenantal love. Now, this is the kind of love that we're supposed to have with one another, particularly the Christians, the kind of love that we're supposed to have with our spouses, the kind of love that we're supposed to have with your children. And I think maybe we experience most purely with our children. I mean, there I was. 
I was holding this helpless child that could do nothing for me, right? I mean, there's no good that Imriana could have given me in that moment, and yet I loved her. For, for some reason, with our children, covenantal love makes sense to me. And this is more like the love that God is describing here. Look at verse six with me again. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Um, you, hear, you hear the language there? Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, so don't, don't be confused here. This is not universalism. God is saying, you, Israel, you are my possession, despite all these other people. And if you, if you want any more context on this, just read the previous five verses. It was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you, for you were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord, your God, loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that he's brought you out of the mi- with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why does God love Israel? Why did God save them and destroy Egypt? Why, why did God love Israel so much? Was it because Israel was so powerful? Well, no, it says in the text here, I didn't love you. You weren't powerful. Guys, guys reminding them, guys, it's not because you're strong. There's nothing really special about you. Was it because Israel was so obedient, right? Israel must have been the most obedient. You know. It has to be something. In fact, you know, I kind of grew up in, in a context that, that we all want love to be conditional. We're used to conditional love. And so I kind of grew up in a context that I remember thinking as a child, oh, well, God loved Israel because they were more obedient than these other nations. But then I read the Bible, <laughs> And I was like, no, that's not why God, Israel is not more obedient. They're certainly not more righteous than these other people. Or maybe you grew up in a different context that is more universal. Just look at it. God is just, his love is being expressed toward everyone, toward everyone equally. But that's not, again, read the previous five verses where God talks about Israel destroying the, the nations that are not his covenantal people. Certainly not what the Bible is saying. No, this is talking about a special love that God has for Israel. They are his chosen possession. They are his treasure. Why? And you know why? You know what the answer that the the passage gives us here? I love you. You know what it says here? The beginning of verse eight, it says, it's because I love you. (laughs) I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. It's not conditional. This is covenantal love. It's not marketplace love. You know, all of us, all of us love in conditional ways. And you know why? Because we have needs. We all, we all love in conditional ways because we do have needs. We, we do want to love people that can meet our needs. But you see, God and God alone can purely love in this unconditional way because he has no needs. What does God need from Israel? But he has chosen to love them just because he loves them. Now, for a lot of us, this is a hard thing to understand. For a lot of us, it's hard to accept that God's love is unconditional. We we like the idea of unconditional love, that that God might love without any conditions, but the outworking of it is hard. You know, why did God decide to love Israel but not the parasites or the Moabites? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. 
For some reason, Abraham, the father of Israel, found favor in God's eyes. And the Bible certainly doesn't present Abraham as sinless. It is not conditional. Why was I born in Alabama? Why were many of you born in the United States where there's so much access to the gospel? So much access to the Christian message, to the message of God's pursuing love for you that you could believe. Why were so many of us born here and millions of millions of people born in Central Asia where they have very little access to the gospel, basically zero access to the gospel? Why? Is it because we're so obedient? Did we have anything to do with us being born here? No. No. But I'm so glad that I was. And I'm so glad that by God's grace, I, I was born to a family that, that raised me up to know the Lord. I, I don't know why, but all I can be is grateful. You know, this is one of these doctrines, the, the doctrine of God's unconditional love that's mysterious. It's a doctrine that have had people thinking for a long time. It's the kind of doctrine that we talk about in our systematic theology classes. And I do encourage you, I'll give a little plug. January 9th, we kick off another semester, the winter term of that. It's the kind of thing, the reason that we have things like the text-to-pastor line. Uh, so, so some specific questions are coming to your mind right now. We love to engage with those kinds of questions. But what I want you to understand right now is that God didn't choose to love Israel because there was something special about them. And if you know God in Christ, if you've experienced God's love in Christ, God didn't choose to love you because there's something special about you. In fact, if there's any pattern in Scripture, if there's any pattern in Scripture, if there's any pattern of God's unconditional love, it's that God loves people that everyone else forgets. Look at the Old Testament. It's always like the youngest brother. It's the forgotten sibling, right? It's the one that's out in the field that everybody's forgotten about. It's the runt. You know, if you read throughout the Bible, it's, it's, it's always the least, it's the least country, it's the, the, the forgotten city. You know, think about uh, the places that were influential in Jesus' life, Bethlehem, this small little town, Nazareth, this backwoods place that, you know, could anything good come out of Nazareth? It's always the foolish thing, like, like Gideon and his fight against the Philistines, so ridiculous. The, the people of Israel marching around Jericho seven times, it's a strange and foolish thing. This is, if, if there's anything that shows where God's favor is going to show up, if there's any pattern, it's the small and foolish things, not the special things. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. In James 2.5, we read, listen, my brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him? The point is, if you are in Christ, if you're walking faithfully with God, then praise God. But that's not because we're special. It's because God is gracious. And in his kindness, he has loved us. This isn't marketplace love. It's covenantal love. It's the kind of love that a parent has for a child. It's not prompted. It's why the Bible uses words like adoption. Think about adoption. You apply for an adoption. What does one child do to be adopted versus another child? Nothing. But this is the child that, that the parent is going to display his love for. And the same thing, if you are in Christ, then God has said, I want to display my love for you. 
There's a lot more to be said here, but we've, we've talked a little bit about understanding God's love, this covenantal love, this unconditional love. It is so different than anything you've ever experienced. But the second thing that I want to talk about with you is enjoying God's love. How do we enjoy this love? And when you really begin to understand God's unconditional love, it does some things. And it does a lot of things. But two things I want to talk about with you today is it destroys two things and it creates two things. It destroys two things and it creates two things. So first of all, when you really begin to understand God's unconditional love, it destroys pride. If God loves you like this, not because you were the biggest, not because you were the best, then what do you have to be proud about? Then what do you have to boast on? As Ephesians 2 says, by grace, we've been saved. This is not the result of works. It's not conditional. Therefore, no one can boast. There's no room for pride. You know, there's an old song that says, not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, the problem with the world is self-righteousness and (laughs) self-centeredness. You can pretty much sum up the problems of the world with self-righteousness and self-centeredness. And if you believe that God loves you conditionally, if you believe that God loves you conditionally, then there must be something that you've done to make you worthy of God's love. Something that other people haven't done, but I've done. I'm a little better. I'm a little more righteous. I'm a little holier. If you're trusting in your own righteousness and not in God's love, it will create in you an arrogance. This is why I said last week, some people that call themselves Christians are the worst people I know. Conditional love creates self-righteousness. It creates faith in righteous deeds and not in God and his love. And as long as you're finding identity in your righteousness and in your deeds, you'll always look down on people. You'll never be compassionate toward people. You'll always be proud of who you are. You'll always be protective of your reputation. This, is an ad- this kind of Christianity is an attitude of I'm a good person and you are not. And this kind of Christianity does not produce love. It produces self-righteousness. And self-righteousness always says I'm better than you. But when you really understand God's unconditional love, there is no room for pride. There is only room for humility. Understanding the unconditional love of God destroys pride. But secondly, understanding the unconditional love of God destroys anxiety. You know, marketplace love always produces anxiety because you're always marketing, right? You know, marketplace love, you gotta keep the market going. If if, if you're only loved because of what you produce and what you do, then you've gotta keep saying, well, I can do it, I can do better, I'm really worthy, you can really love me, I really am special. You can't let the market slip, right? People that are finding their identity in their work, for example, they always talk about their work. They gotta be thinking about their work. People that are finding their identity in their looks, they're always obsessive about how they look because they're always selling themselves. See, this is anxiety, They're always having to market themselves. Please love me. Please accept me. I really am someone. But listen, when you take a hold of this, when you believe that the God of the universe loves you completely and unconditionally, it is so transformative. It will give you so much peace. There's an English pastor named John Bunyan. He wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Some of y'all heard this book. It's one of the most famous books. I mean, hundreds of millions of copies have been sold. 
But he also wrote a book called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And if any of y'all have ever read this book, it's, it's all about anxiety. And Bunyan, I mean, this is like Bunyan. He's a pastor, he's a Puritan. I mean, he's like every, he's got the resume. But he can never find peace. He can never find peace before his fellow man. He can never find peace before God. The whole book is about this. The whole book is just his nervousness, his anxiety. He can't rest until one day it hits him. And he says, you know, in my mind's eye, I looked up and I realized that I was not loved by God because of my righteousness, better or worse. I was loved by God because of the finished work of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he kind of closes out the quote with this, and I love this line. It says, now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. From that time, my anxiety went away, and I went home rejoicing in the grace and love of God. God's unconditional love destroys pride. It destroys anxiety, but it also produces things. And and one thing that it does produce is community. God's unconditional love produces community. What if you had, what if you could be a part of a community? Think about this, guys. What if you could be a part of a community where everyone wasn't marketing themselves all the time? Where people weren't so consumed with status all the time? What if you could be a part of a community where people really believed that they were loved and valued by the Almighty God? People saw one another as primarily children of God, primarily brothers and sisters in Christ. What kind of community would that be like? And this is the kind of community that Moses had in mind when he was preaching these sermons in Deuteronomy. If the people of Israel would just rest in the love of God, if they would just find in our, their identity in a people who were loved by God unconditionally, Deuteronomy 15 says there will be no poor among you. We could really like that. Everyone's needs would be met. You know, Acts chapter four, it's interesting. In the, in the early part of the church, as they're, they're living in pure biblical community, people that have, have found their identity in Christ, one of the things we read in Acts 4, 34, is there was not a needy person among them. Everyone was so confident in the love that God had shown them in Christ that they quit treating other people as a means to their own success and they just loved one another. What if you build a community not based on self-promotion, but on care for one another? Well, this is, this is what we want our church to become. It's so different from the world. You know, out there, <laughs> the worldly value, money is something that you use for status. Money is something that you use to spend for experiences for yourself. Money is something that you spend on yourself to make yourself feel better about yourself, to to enjoy life. But if you really believe in the covenantal love of God, then all of a sudden, all of your money is his. And you begin to use it for the sake of him and for the sake of his community and for the sake of his people. It totally changes the way you think about these things. Out in the world, the world is tribal. It's a a divided world by race and class and all of these things. But if, if you begin to get a sense of identity, not in your tribe, but in God, the Almighty, who loves you, then there wouldn't be so much division. You'd already realize I have the greatest status. I don't have a need of this tribe. I'm not primarily identified with these things, with race or class or politics. We're identified as people who are loved by God. 
There's this beautiful song called Beneath the Cross of Jesus that I love. It says, beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. How could I now dishonor the ones that you have loved? Beneath the cross of Jesus, see the children called by God. Don't you see, when you really understand God's unconditional love, it changes everything. It creates a community. And this is, coincidentally, one of the reasons we want you to be a part of the community. We, we don't want you to just come to worship service. We're glad you're here, but, but our goal is that you would be a part of a community where you actually experience this kind of life, where people are giving themselves to you and you to them, and you're using your gifts to serve and to love and to experience the kind of community that God's love creates, where Jesus is most alive. He always creates this kind of countercultural community that really is thy kingdom come. And that's what I said, I, I pray that Jesus is alive here. And that's what this would become. So lastly, understanding God's unconditional love, it destroys pride, it destroys anxiety, it creates community, but the last thing it creates is intense mission. If you really believe in the unconditional love of God, then this will compel you to intense mission. If God's love is conditional, then it only makes sense to preach or evangelize people that are pretty close to God anyway, right? So, okay, well, let's, let's go to the people where we got the best chance to kind of get them in. People that are doing well, people that live in developed countries. But when you really understand that God's love is unconditional, that he can save anyone, that he can call anyone to himself, not presupposed on their current condition, well then you can have the confidence in that, that God through you can do anything. This is what compels people to bold mission. And I desperately want us to be a church that has confidence in this, and, and that God based not on our condition, but on his love can save anyone. I want us to be a church that believes that no one is beyond the pale of restoration, that no one is beyond redemption. And listen, I just want you to hear this. God is so pleased when his people pursue the most broken and the most vulnerable, the most needy, the most far out there, because in that God is so glorified. And I want you to hear this too. Some of you may be here today and you have walked in today under intense guilt. You are here thinking to yourself, how could God love me if these people knew? If these people only knew. How could God love me? And maybe you're here to kind of get cleaned up a little bit. You know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little cleaned up and then maybe God could love me. Well, I have bad news for you if that's you. You're actually worse off than you thought. And all these people that you think are cleaned up, they're worse off than you thought too, and probably they think. None of us, based on our own record, has any standing before a holy and eternal God. Not me, not you. But I also have good news for you. God's love is unconditional. It's not, it's not conditioned on your past sin. It's not conditioned on the family that you came from. It's not conditioned on, on what you've done in your life. No, it's, God's love is unconditional.
conditional in Christ. None of us are cleaned up enough to stand before a holy God, but God's love is unconditional. And in Christ, you can stand before God in him based on his righteousness, clean, washed, well. It's like the old song says, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And so you may be thinking, well, we've been talking about understanding love and enjoying love, but how do you get this? How do you find this love? And this is an interesting passage. Verse six through eight, it says, hey, Israel, God loves you because he loves you. You are God's chosen possession because he just decided to choose you and he loves you. But then in verse nine through 11, it seems, everything seems unconditional there, but then in nine through 11, it seems very conditional. Look at verse nine with me. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him. By destroying them, he will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You should therefore be careful to do the commandments and statutes and the rules that I command you today. <laughs> Did you catch that? First part of the passage, God is saying to Israel, I love you because I love you. Second part, it's saying, you better be careful to do everything I command you. How, how do you make sense of this? The first part, it seems so unconditional. I just love you because I love you. The second part, it seems so based on their obedience. And you know, we see this actually throughout the Bible. Exodus 34, we see a passage in verse six and seven and we see the same kind of passage throughout Scripture. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the children's children to the third and fourth generation. How does that passage make sense? You know, we see that passage over and over and over throughout the Bible. You see it in Nehemiah and Numbers and Psalms at two different places in the book of Joel. It's like this haunting refrain throughout the Old Testament. God's love will be steadfast, but he will by no means clear the guilty. How can God do this? How can God be both merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and at the same time, just not clearing the guilty? And here's how. Remember that I told you at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned at the end of that narrative, they had to leave the garden and God put to guard the garden, to guard his presence, an angel with a sword. It was as if to say, in order to come back here, you either have to be perfect, which Adam and Eve, of course, were not because they had sinned, or you have to endure the sword. You have to endure the punishment for your sin. But you see, and I really want you to see this, when Jesus came, when Jesus came to earth, he obeyed. This is why we celebrate Jesus so much. He never sinned. He was the one that was careful to keep all of the commandments that God had commanded. And he's the only one. <laughs> Who has done this? Who is careful to keep all of the commandments that God has commanded? Who has fulfilled this condition? None of you, and certainly not me. Jesus is the only one who has done this. 
The life of Jesus is so important. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about the birth of Jesus, and the birth of Jesus is important. You know, people will say, why is the virgin birth so important? Why do we need to believe in the virgin birth? Well, don't you see? Of course, Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Because as we talked about last week, the, with that, that kind of big theological word I use, the seminal headship of Adam. If we were in Adam when he sinned and we inherit this sinfulness from our father, then of course our sinful nature continues down through the generations, but Jesus is not a son of Adam. He is the daughter of the woman who God said would come to crush the head of the serpent, but he's not a son of Adam who inherited our sin. He was born without sin and he never sinned. Even though he was tested. You know, we talk a lot about the birth, but we don't talk a lot about the life of Jesus. The amazing thing about the life of Jesus is this, that Jesus was tested. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he never sinned. He was always careful to meet and to fulfill the law of God. I want you to hear this. This is how it's both. This is how it's both. In order order to... To be made right with God, you you have to fill the condition. In order to get back in with God, to get back in the presence of God, there's a sword, there's a penalty that comes. In in order for God to be just, he has to punish the iniquity of the fathers for the third and the fourth generation, the iniquity of all generations. And don't you see, when Jesus came to earth, he completed the test. He met all the conditions, and then he endured the suffering, he endured the iniquity, he endured the penalty. The, the sword of the angel came down on him. The iniquity of the fathers, the iniquity of all generations was put on him on the cross. This is how it's both. This is how God can punish the iniquity to all generations. This is how the angel, of, the angel guarding the garden put to death anyone that would try to enter and come near the presence of God Because our iniquity and all of our sin was punished, was crushed, was paid for by Christ on the cross. And hear this, in Christ, all of the conditions were met. Jesus fulfilled all the conditions. So now in Christ, if you believe in him and look to him, then God's love for you can be unconditional. John says it this way. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man who were not born by any condition met, no, but of God. And if you are in Christ and if you are looking to Christ, and trusting in Christ with your life. He met all the conditions on your behalf. So whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, you can stand before God forgiven, clean, and it's as if God is saying to you in Christ, in the same way that I did to my daughter Imriana, who could offer me nothing, who could do nothing for me, but I still said to her, I love you because I love you. I love you because you're mine. And if you're in Christ, God can look at you and say, I love you because you're mine. I love you because I love you. In Christ, the conditions have been met and God extends his love to you today unconditionally. Will you look to Jesus? Will you look to Jesus and find this love and find this love that exceeds our sin and our guilt that is greater than all our sin. 
Let's pray. Father, I, I ask today that these words would penetrate our hearts and that we would leave today the kind of people confident in the unconditional love that you have shown us in Jesus. What song and dance could we do to merit the grace that you have shown us in sending your own son to die in our place? And the answer is none. But Lord, you have done this. And as that song says, this grace is freely bestowed on all who believe. And so Lord, I pray that today you'd give us the faith to believe, to look to Jesus, and to find faith and life and love in him. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.